0: welcome back to living lean this is jeremiah back today we're talking about a topic that is crazy interesting to me and that is how to change your body fat settling point so i want you to think of that person you know that always seems to be lean without effort what the hell right why is it that you have to diet for months to even see a blurry outline of your abs well meanwhile they're year-round lean without even seeming to pay attention to their nutrition now, if it's comforting, you're not the only person experiencing this. For years, there's been debate over what's called the body fat set point theory. The idea that you have a quote unquote genetic blueprint that fights to keep you from deviating too far from your body fat set point. So let's dive into this theory today and how to change where your body fat actually settles. So, First, I just wanna talk through a common scenario that's probably relatable to you. I know it is for me, and I know many of my clients, before they started nutrition coaching, are struggling with the same thing. So, it's January 1st, and this is the year you tell yourself you're gonna have abs this summer. You currently weigh 155 pounds, and you know you'll look and feel great at about 140 pounds just from past experience. So, for the next four months, you eat a diet of chicken, tilapia, broccoli, and spinach, a typical bro diet. You probably hate it, you probably feel terrible, but you're losing weight fast. You hit the gym five times per week, you run two miles every single day. By April, you're only 143 pounds. You feel great, you look good, but your hunger has gone through the roof lately. Your motivation to train has dropped a lot too, and you probably even noticed your daily step count on your Apple Watch is down. It's really almost like your body is fighting back against you. Plus, cravings start to get the best of you. You just find yourself constantly craving all kinds of different foods—ice cream, pizza—and really, you start you start caving into these cravings a lot more. Oh, hard to say caving to cravings. <laughs> and it really is just a lot easier for, for your friends to convince you to join them for pizza, for drinks, a lot more so than it was. A few months ago, where your willpower seemed to be a lot stronger. Your training also just seems a lot more unsustainable and lately you just make it to the gym two to three times a week, maybe on a good week, instead of the five that you were doing previously. Now it's August and you decide to step on the scale for the first time in a while. And oh man, you are at 165 pounds. Yikes. Okay, so over the next few months, you're a bit more mindful about your diet. And it also really helps that you don't seem to be as hungry anymore. Plus, you've been feeling a lot more motivated to train, and you even notice that the step count on your Apple Watch has gone back up. Now, a full year has passed at this point. It's January 1st again. You hop on the scale, and you're 155 pounds, exactly where you started last year. Now, again, if you're anything like most of us, this story is very relatable. You probably experienced something like this, and notice that despite the ebbs and flows, your body fat and weight tends to stabilize around a certain point. And this is really the premise of the body fat set point theory. Basically, when you deviate too far from your set point, different mechanisms in your brain and body upregulate or downregulate. So think things like hunger, your motivation to train, your non-exercise activity to really return your body to where it's comfortable. I really like the thermostat analogy, like thinking of your body, like a thermostat that's set at 70 degrees. Now full disclosure, I picked this up from Lyle McDonald, but think when the temperature drops below 70, the heat kicks on. When it goes above 70, the AC comes on and really your thermostat always regulates right around 70 degrees. When we deviate too far from that counter mechanisms come into play to bring it right back to 70. So, the question is, is the body fat set point real? And this is really where we get into the body fat set point theory versus the settling point theory. So, the idea of set points and inevitably returning to your predetermined genetic set point is honestly pretty damn depressing. But fortunately, it does seem that it's more like a settling point than a set point. Settling point theory follows the thought that the range of body fat tends to settle in isn't just due to your genetic blueprint, but also your environment and your activity and diet patterns. So while some of where your body fat tends to settle is seemingly out of your control, a large portion of it can be controlled within the settling point theory. And this theory is honestly much more widely accepted. And in my own opinion from years of anecdotal experience, much more accurate. So the question is, which I'm sure you're wondering, if you currently have a high settling point, how do we change that? Well, let's dive into the factors that determine your settling point and really crack your settling point code. So first, we wanna get into the physiological factors that, affect, that impact your settling point. And first of all, the one that gets the most blame from everyone is your metabolism. So metabolism is all your bodily processes the burn calories. It has four, compo- four components. First, basal metabolic rate, better known as BMR, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, the thermic effect of food, and the thermic effect of exercise. Now your basal metabolic rate is generally higher the more you weigh. So it's not really an issue when it comes to having a high settling point. If anything, your basal, me- your basal metabolic rate being higher or weighing more actually is going to improve or decrease your settling point. The thermic effect of activity is really, or the thermic effect of exercise, excuse me, is the smallest portion of your metabolism. Now, while it does help to exercise more, realize that you won't be able to out-exercise a high settling point. Really, for most people, exercise activity makes up about 5% of the calories that they burn in a day, which is why it's so hard to quote unquote burn it off and why nutrition is so damn important and why if you have no idea what you're doing with your nutrition, I can't recommend enough that you work with a nutrition coach truly is life changing to just get your nutrition in check because it makes such a massive difference, especially for things like we're talking about here for your fat loss. Now the thermic effect of food impacts your settling point big time. Well, to a moderate extent, so yes, eating more, does increase the thermic effect of food and metabolism, but thermic effect also varies depending on the macros that you're eating. So when you eat protein, about 20 to 35% of the calories you eat are actually burned during digestion. When you eat carbs, about five to 15% of the calories you eat are burned. And when you eat fats, zero to 5% of the calories you eat are burned during, during digestion. So the macro composition of the meals you eat does impact your settling point let's say a decent amount. So basically to lower your settling point, eating more protein does make more sense because we're burning a lot more of those calories during digestion and our body actually absorbs fewer of those calories. Now knee or non-exercise activity thermogenesis, basically movement outside of the gym is where we see the most difference in metabolism between the lean and the obese. They actually did a study, that show that meat can impact energy expenditures by over two thousand calories per day. Basically, there was a two thousand calorie variance between people in this study, just from the calories that they burn from meat, which is insane. So yeah, this makes a massive difference in your metabolism, that's also a huge part of why we see a, such a big difference in people' settling points. Now, a large part of how many calories you burn through meat is genetic. Some people just naturally fidget and pace more. Like, if you could see me right now, and you can probably hear it honestly, I move around constantly, I talk with my hands big time. Little things like that add up a lot. Some people don't fidget, don't pace as much, just little things like that, but we can somewhat make up for this by setting daily movement goals, which is exactly what I do with all my clients focused on fat loss. We always track your movement, because knee is such a big, variable well of this. Now, next there are adaptive and rigid metabolism. So metabolism varies a lot in how it responds to overeating or undereating, especially your non-exercise activity, thermogenesis or knee. Now, from my experience as a nutrition coach, most clients metabolisms fall into two categories. First, we have adaptive metabolism. So for these people, when you eat more, your body automatically increases NEAT. Knee- to compensate. So again, things like subconscious fidgeting, blinking, pacing, just little stuff like that, that adds up. Their body adapts to higher calorie intake by increasing calories burned through movement. So their weight will stay the same, even though they're eating more calories. And people like this can typically maintain a relatively high calorie intake, but the reduction in meat when they decrease also means that they have to drop calories lower than expected to lose fat. So. People like this, usually these are the clients, they have very high maintenance calories. After we get done with the cutting phase and we go into a maintenance or even a lean gains phase, we gain seemingly continuously for a very long time, just increase calories more and more and they don't gain fat. But these clients also typically have to drop calories lower than expected because again, either way, whether we're feeding them a lot of calories or very few, their ca- their Metabolism is very adaptive. It upregulates or downregulates the amount of movement that they do to burn more or fewer calories and try to maintain homeostasis. Now, our second category is rigid metabolisms, which, as far as I know, is a term that I that I made up, but we're gonna roll with it. So these people see very little or no increase in meat as a response to overeating. So for them. Fat gain is a bit easier, but on the bright side, these people also usually don't have to decrease calories as much to lose fat because calories burned through meat don't decrease as much as they would for someone with an adaptive metabolism. I definitely fall into this category. Um, For example, when I got ready for my first photo shoot, I never had to drop below 2,400 calories, but if I eat over 3000 calories, I will gain very rapidly, very consistently until I'm close to 250 pounds. Now I've worked with many clients in both of these categories, but either way, like there's a a positive and a negative for people with rigid metabolism, it is easier to get leaner, but people with adaptive metabolisms, you can eat more when you aren't trying to get lean. So again, either way you have some good and some bad, but to really prove this idea, A 1999 study fed 16 people 1,000 calories over their maintenance intake per day. Now, over the course of eight weeks, the weight gain between individuals varied from just 0.8 pounds to 9.3 pounds, which is a massive difference in eight weeks. And the change in need between individuals also varied wildly from actually burning less calories than they did before, minus 98. for all the way up to 692 extra calories burned per day. So basically the 16 people in this study had crazy different responses to eating the same calorie surplus. And there's just a huge variance in how people's energy expenditure via meat will respond to overfeeding or underfeeding. Next, we have adaptive thermogenesis. So we also know that losing or gaining fat impacts your settling point due to something called adaptive thermogenesis as you get leaner your metabolism decreases. So, your body is smaller, so your basal metabolic rate decreases. It just takes less fuel, less calories, less energy to maintain your smaller body. You're eating less food, so the thermic effect of food decreases. Now, this is granted or this is given that the macro composition of your meals stays stays the same. So, if you were only eating like if you were strictly eating fat carbs but we decrease your calories, but we also increase the percentage of protein you're eating, then thermic effect could stay very similar or even increase, but we're assuming here that you're eating about the same macro composition. So it's very likely the thermic effect of food you eat will decrease. The thermic effect of activity also decreases because it takes fewer calories to move your smaller body when you're training, and knee also generally decreases. Again, like we talked about, this varies a lot, but you'll feel more lethargic, Due to the lack of calories, you just have less energy, so you're a lot less likely to move as much. Plus, hormone levels of a hormone called leptin, which we talked about a ton on this podcast already, are gonna decrease. This leads to increased hunger and less energy expenditure. As you eat more and gain more fat, basically the opposite of all this happens. Your metabolism increases, your hunger decreases. And adaptive thermogenesis is one of the primary reasons that breaking your current set point can be a challenge. So really, all these components, all these adaptations, basically the upregulation or downregulation of your metabolism is adaptive thermogenesis. And we have appetite. So obviously, the amount of calories you consume regulates your body fat. Your appetite largely regulates how much food you eat. Now, some of your appetite is genetic. See, after we eat, the gene MC4R signals that we're full. When we stop eating and feel full, the gene switches off. However, many mutations of this genes have been found, and some of the population tends to be hungrier, while some tend to never be hungry, both due to mutations in MC4-R. So, appetite varies by person, and it does impact your settling point. But just like metabolism, a large part of it is under your control. And we'll really talk about how to control this a bit more in the conclusion of this podcast when I actually give you applicable action steps that my clients take to lower their settling point. But people that have a low settling point, usually one, burn a lot of calories through meat. Some of it might be a conscious effort, but some of it is also likely just a natural disposition to fidget pace. Two, have a smaller appetite. Even when you seem to always see them eating junk, Leaner people tend to kind of auto-regulate higher calorie meals. So for example, this is probably the person you know that maybe they'll go off for breakfast and they'll eat six donuts, but then if you can follow them around for the rest of the day, they just wouldn't be hungry. They just don't eat the rest of the day. Physiologically, your current settling point is largely a product of your appetite, your metabolism, adaptive thermogenesis, and how adaptive or rigid your metabolism is. So now let's get into psychological factors. First, we have your relationship with food. So the reality is some people just seem to take more value and enjoyment from eating food than others. Personally, I don't care that much about food. It's means to an end for me, which is really like how I feel in the gym, gaining muscle, things like that. But that act of eating good food in itself, As messed up as it sounds, it just doesn't do that much for me. Like, I always think, okay, like, tastes good now, but how am I gonna feel five minutes from now? Like, it's a very, for me, it's a very short term thing. And honestly, that's a big part of how I was raised, which we can talk about in a second. But my girlfriend, on the other hand, (laughs) takes a lot more value and enjoyment from eating delicious foods. And she just takes a lot more time to prepare and savor them than I would. Now I know this is honestly, probably the story of most relationships, friendships, just so many of us, many of us could care less about our food. It's just means to an end. Many of us take a lot of enjoyment from this food and neither, neither of these outlooks is bad or wrong. It's really just a product of how you were raised your personality. But the reality is there are a lot of different viewpoints. Now we can also look at your hunger response to stress. Another thing I've noticed a huge variance in with online clients is how their body responds to stress. Some clients are stress eaters, but others seem to have no appetite at all when stressed. And honestly, I'm not sure what creates the big difference here. Short term, it does make sense that hunger would be blunted for everyone when they're stressed. The hormone epinephrine is released and our body is pushed into what we call fight or flight mode where consuming calories isn't something that's important for your immediate survival that said under longer periods of stress more cortisol is released and typically with cortisol the hunger hormone is ghrelin is also released so it makes sense that everyone should be hungry when stressed for longer periods of time but again anecdotally i found it's a kind of a toss-up kind of like your relationship with food and how you feel like how much enjoyment you going take from it similarly with stress it's kind of a toss-up as to whether a client will experience lots of hunger or no hunger when they're stressed. So your stress levels and your hunger response to stress can also have a big impact on your set point. And then your relationship with hunger. Now, as a new online client, a big part of me teaching you to be successful when you're looking to get lean is often just educating you on how to be okay with being hungry sometimes. Really, many people just haven't learned how to sit with hunger and we just habitually eat as soon as we experience any sign of hunger. When really, like, even if you think about it, like, am I really hungry? Is this really what I need to feel my body with right now? The answer will be no, but it's so habitual for most people that it is a practice skill to learn to sit with hunger. And we have your level of organization, which in my opinion, is actually one of the most important things that can impact where your body fat settles. Think about just what you resort to when you're scrambling out of the door in the morning, or when you get home late from work, exhausted and unprepared. It's always quick, convenient, and usually high calorie foods. Maybe you swing by McDonald's on the way to work because you didn't have any breakfast prepared, or maybe You get home late and you know you don't have any food prepped, so you order pizza. Little things like this make a massive difference in the overall amount of calories it should take in. So, organization, being prepped ahead for things like this is actually, as weird as it sounds, one of the most impactful things on where your body fat settles. Your relationship with food and hunger, how well you handle stress, and how organized you are, play a massive role. All of those play a massive role in your current body fat settling point. And we have external factors. So, food choices. And this really ties into appetite, and we already touched on this a bit, because what you eat makes a massive difference in how full you feel. Highly processed foods are quite literally engineered to make you want to crave more. These foods in isolations aren't going to increase your settling point, but the fact that they make it so much easier to overeat likely will. Sleep also makes a big difference. So a study by UC Berkeley actually found that cravings for highly processed foods were increased after just one night of poor sleep. Undersleeping is a stress, which increases the release of cortisol and potentially increases hunger, like we just talked about. Plus, you have less energy when you don't sleep enough. This means you won't train as hard, fewer calories burned, and less metabolism-boosting muscle is built. And also your NEAT, your non-exercise activity is going to be lower throughout the day. We also have social and career pressure, which is another big one. The sense of pressure from friends, family, or occupation really makes a massive difference in what foods we eat, what we drink, and how lean we feel like we need to be. And our food environment. The easier food is for us to see or access, the more likely we are to eat it. And I like to just call this your food environment when we talk about this in nutrition coaching and I've found this to be one of the most important factors when it comes to helping online clients change their settling points. So in summary of this section, lots of external stuff you don't really think about is actually impacting your settling point and it makes a massive difference. Now, before we get into your prescription for lowering your body fat settling point and exactly how we take you through this in nutrition coaching, I want to hit you with a little bit of personal anecdote. So until I moved away from home at 18 to go to college, I was a scrawny dude at 6'3 and 170 pounds at my heaviest. Now, when I lived at home, I was always jealous of my friends whose moms bought all the quote-unquote good cereal as a little kid and had things like chips, Oreos around. None of that was ever in my house. My mom would always tell me, if you want a snack, eat eat an apple, I was like, mom, I'm hungry, I wish we just had good cereal, but <laughs> that's besides the point. My house is just barren of snack food, snack food outside of fruit, and it really was a rarity that my family ate out. So 95% of the food I ate was home cooked and minimally processed. Now, following that, I went to college, and over the next four years, I gained 75 pounds. 75 pounds so i went from 170 to 245 over the course of four years now some of that was muscle i would say probably 25 to 35 pounds but the rest was fat what happened did my genetic blueprint change nope not at all first my knee decreased so i was sitting a lot more studying occasionally studying we could say (laughs) but no sports just less movement, less walking the halls, more driving, things like that. Um, my social pressures changed. I was drinking a lot more of my calories on the weekends and also drunk, eating, which mom, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. And my food environment changed massively. So I decided, hey, I finally have my own house or I'm living in the dorms and I had access to the dorm cafeteria. I am gonna make up for this lack of all the good cereal Doritos, all that that was missing in my childhood, I am gonna have them constantly available now. And all these changes seem to create a new settling point whereas before, my body fat really seemed to settle right around 170 pounds. My body weight settled around 170 pounds. Really, my body started to settle. 245 was really where it seemed like my body was comfortable with all these changes. Now, fortunately, Even though it was confusing at the time, the factors that led to this weight gain were very much under my control. So post weight gain, with more attention to my meat and a drastic change in my food environment habits, more social pressure to stay lean created by my career, which again is another thing that not a lot of people talk about, but it does make a big difference, and a nutrition coach to hold me accountable, I found that my body fat now, my body weight really settles right around 195 to 200 pounds. That's where it seems like I'm comfortable. I don't have to fight too hard to go in either direction. And without too much effort, that's really where my body weight sits. So hundreds of my clients have changed their body fat settling point. I've changed mine multiple times. You can do it too. And here's how. Now, I want you to think back to that friend from the beginning, you know, the one that's effortlessly lean, the truth is you might not be able to get your settling point as low as theirs. Anecdotally, everyone seems to have a certain body fat where they just don't feel good. Libido is lower than it should be. Your hunger is super high. Your energy is very low. And that point could very well be a bit lower for your friend than for you due to the differences we talked about that are out of your control. So it could just be easier for your friend to maintain a lower body fat without feeling awful, without having crazy high hunger due to just these genetic differences, like they naturally move more, maybe their appetite is naturally lower. But that said, most of this is under your control. And I've never worked with a client who wasn't able to create a new settling point where they felt lean, strong, and most importantly, supremely confident after putting in the necessary work. And I know that everyone listening to this can do the same. So first, I wanna address your needs. We've talked a lot about how much knee or non-exercise activity impacts your settling point. And the odds are if your body fat is higher than you'd like, your knee is probably low. So while trying to consciously fidget more is a pretty poor strategy, we can get you more intentional about moving more, which is why I have all my fat loss clients set daily movement goals. And I highly recommend you do the same. So I would start by just setting a step goal, Set it 2,000 steps higher than what you're averaging currently. I found most people can get up to 10,000 steps a day without it significantly taking away from their life. Next, train consistently with a focus on building muscle. So, consistent training really ties in with the need for consistent meat. Dips in calorie burn with without a matching decrease in calorie intake lead to weight gain. Like we talked about, training does burn some calories, not a lot, but Increases or decreases here can still make a difference. Now, as far as building muscle, this is super important for both men and women. So let's say you're 155 pounds with 20 pounds of fat mass and 135 pounds of lean mass. If you gain five pounds of lean muscle, but no fat, so you're now 160 pounds with 20 pounds of fat mass and 140 pounds of lean mass, your overall body fat percentage still decreases You'll look leaner, you'll feel leaner, you literally will be leaner, even though we didn't actually lose fat. We're still, by increasing muscle, we decrease your total body fat. And this is why when a client is near the quote unquote floor of their body fat settling point, which means we can't really lose any more fat without them fighting extremely hard and probably hitting the point where they feel shitty, we'll switch to a smart lean gains approach. This is just an emphasis on building lean muscle without adding excess fat. And this is probably something you've heard me and see me talk about a lot in my content. This works extremely well for both the men and the women that I've coached. So again, just to sum that up, when we hit that point where we can't really get leaner, we can't lose more pounds of fat without you just feeling awful. You're kind of at the floor of what you can do without feeling just really shitty. Then by us switching our focus to adding lean mass and putting more muscle on your body for both men and women can actually keep getting you leaner without actually having to decrease calories or again, push against that floor harder and increased lean mass will also increase your basal metabolic rate and the thermic effect of exercise making you burn more calories. And again, increasing your metabolism a bit. Next food selection, you must prioritize filling foods. And honestly within nutrition coaching, this is one of the biggest difference makers. Realize that lean proteins and fibrous carbs especially have a lot of volume and are very satiating per calorie. So you want to always make these a big focus to your diet, no matter what, to keep hunger low and make fat loss easier. And we really want to also avoid foods that are high in multiple macronutrients. So for example, you could eat, let's say six ounces of ribeye for about 493 calories or 36 grams of protein and 39 grams of carbs, or for a very similar amount of calories, you could eat eight ounce sirloin a large and a large avocado so I'll same amount of calories but more protein and much more food volume so again just by avoiding foods that are high in multiple macronutrients we're generally gonna get a lot more volume per calorie so like there we switch from a food or ribeye that's very high in both protein and fat to a food that's just high in protein a sirloin, a food that is just high in fat, an avocado, and we got a lot more volume, a lot more satiation per calorie there. Now, we already touched on this a bit, but you also want to make sure you're not drinking your calories. Liquids will digest much quicker, meaning you're hungry again sooner. So, if you're using milk as a protein source, I would swap it for something like cottage cheese or Greek yogurt. Use mostly whole food protein sources instead of protein powder. Similarly, protein does make hitting your protein goal easier, but it also digests very quickly and doesn't do near as much to keep you full. 50 grams of a whole foods protein source, so for example, eight ounces of chicken, is gonna be much more filling than two scoops of protein powder. Eat protein at every meal. Now, by this point, you know that protein is very filling, right, I think I've said it a hundred times, and it also has a high thermic effect. So it makes sense to eat lots of protein, and spread it evenly across your day to keep yourself full. The number one focus of all your meals should be including at least 25 to 40 grams of protein and then find lower calorie versions of oils, dressings, and condiments. These are such sneaky ways to add in more calories. These are often ways that sabotage people's fat loss or actually these are a, reason, a big part of the reason why so many people's body fat settling point is so high. We don't think of all these little calories, all these little sources of calories that add up big time. So I'd largely recommend swapping olive oil for a calorie free cooking spray. Now that said, realize that cooking sprays also have calories, but it's gonna be a lot less. Like they will say it's zero calories on this pan, but it's for like one eighth of a second spray. So it does have some calories, but the reality is using a cooking spray is often still going to be a lot less calories than if you coated a pan with olive oil, find lower calorie versions of barbecue sauces or use steak sauce and swap high calorie salad dressings for something like a fat free vinaigrette, or just look for lower calorie, lower fat salad dressing options with a few easy swaps here that really you won't even notice. We can literally give you hundreds of extra calories to work with in a day. Now, we also want to eliminate cravings and rework your food environment. I really talked about this a lot in the last episode, the last Q&A, about how to manage cravings. But basically, you want to rework your food environment. So look at what foods you have available and what cues could potentially be triggering you to eat certain foods. So if you drive by the bakery and suddenly you have the urge to eat a donut, maybe, or maybe as soon as your kids get home, you have the urge to drink, we want to look at the habit loop. All habits are formed in a loop of cue, craving, response, and reward. If we break any part of this loop, we'll break a habit, which in this craze case is a craving for a specific food. So, with most clients, identifying remo- and removing the cue is easiest, with the exception of your kids, of course. So, this is just things like taking different routes to avoid driving by the bakery, for example, or Putting lower calorie foods at the front of your fridge or pantry, maybe moving the break table at work from your line of sight. If there's a time you typically typically experience cravings, we'll get a proactive about handling it in nutrition coaching. So by eating a high protein and high fiber meal, which is a very filling but low calorie, 30 to 60 minutes before you typically experience cravings, we're proactively eliminating them. And my favorite option here is a big ass salad with a protein source, something like chicken breast or tuna. And we also all have foods we just struggle to eat in moderation. Sometimes these are, quote unquote, healthy foods for many it's nut butters. Things like ice cream are very obvious if you struggle if you struggle with eating that in moderation. If these are in your house, you'll eat them. So, set it up to where you actually have to go out of your way to get these foods. There's nothing wrong with them but setting it up to where they're not constantly available will make it a lot easier to eat them in moderation. Now, as far as organization goes, which is another big part of what throws off people's settling points. First meal prep being prepped ahead nearly guarantees. You'll never not have the right foods available or run out of time to eat. Like you need to all of my online clients, that get the best fatless results meal prep ahead. I can't emphasize enough what a difference maker this is. Truly like meal prep takes so much willpower out of the equation and makes hitting nutrition goals almost automatic. Now for clients that are really struggling with hitting their nutrition goals, I also typically have you plan ahead. So I literally have clients plan their next day out in my fitness pal and then shoot me their strategy for the next day, the night before. From there, I dive into it. I help them adjust maybe make some food swaps to give them more and more fullness out of their meals. But really the most important thing there is just planning ahead. When we get clients doing this 10 times out of 10, they have an amazing week, amazing weeks, and then planning ahead becomes a habit. And next thing you know, you're leaner, you're stronger, you're much more confident. You also want to plan your training sessions ahead of time. If you're not as intentional about when you'll train, All of your time will be filled with random things that seem important at the time. And you'll really end up having another week where you quote unquote couldn't find time to make it to the gym. This stuff is important. So you need to plan it ahead. We also want to eliminate negative social pressures to decrease your body fat settlement point. And really there's a couple different scenarios here that I deal with a lot that I help my nutrition clients deal with a lot. First, there's someone with good intentions who doesn't understand why you don't want to eat or drink something. And this is super common with family when you feel like you're getting pressure from your family to eat or drink, even when it doesn't align with your goals. So here, if it is something you want to eat and you can work it in your calories, go for it. But if it's not something you want or it'll throw you off your nutrition significantly, just explain what you're trying to accomplish to said family member or friend and that you're just not hungry or thirsty. After a sincere conversation, more times than not, they'll understand it's nothing personal or judgmental, and they'll really likely be very supportive. But it all comes down to just having that actual conversation with someone instead of just avoiding it or like resenting them in the back of your head like, oh, they don't understand what I'm going through. No, just put it out there and talk about it. Now, the second situation is where someone is intentionally trying to make you feel guilty for not eating something, even though you don't want to eat it in the first place. Now, in this case, they're likely upset that you're doing something they feel like they should be doing. This makes people insecure, but you can't let other people's insecurities hold you back from being a better version of yourself. In this case, the most useful thing is just understanding that the person is just projecting on you. And you'll start to realize how absurd it is to let someone else make you feel guilty about not eating food that you don't want to eat in the first place. Really, the biggest thing that seems to help clients and myself, honestly, is just examining why you're allowing other people to make you feel guilty about something silly like food. Now, we can also create positive social pressure. The more you surround yourself with people that practice the habits you need to keep a lower body fat set point, the more likely you are to follow suit. So, this could be a training partner, this could be Join a Facebook group, getting more accountability at the gym, and really getting accountability and guidance is the biggest difference maker. I would say the easiest way to make this process as quick and painless as possible is to invest in a coach. A coach will, one, expertly guide you through the process of changing your body and sustaining that result, and two, hold you accountable to consistently performing the behaviors required to change your body to fat settling point for good. Bringing in a source of constant accountability and guidance is one of the most important things you can do to change your external environment. I've witnessed this with hundreds of clients and my own transformation. So if you're someone that's ready to change your body fat settling point for good, click the link in the show notes to apply for online coaching with me. We'll hop on a free strategy call. We'll talk through everything, nutrition, training, lifestyle, figure out the best approach for you, and if you're a good fit, we'll get you rolling on your program within the next few days. And that said, that is exactly how you can go about changing your body fat settling point for good. This was a super fun episode. If you have any questions, as always, shoot me a DM on Instagram at jeremiahbear or shoot me an email, jeremiah at bearfit.com. This is a Living Lean podcast. Thank you for tuning in.